Thank you for joining us. This is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fishery science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at FisheriesPod. And if you're the generous type, you can be like Jerry, John, Garrett, Ben, Janet, and Jody, who all support the podcast on Patreon. Through Patreon, you're able to support the show with either a recurring or a one-time donation, which helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, and stickers on our Teespring store, so go check that out. Today on the show, we had the first of two candidates running for the position of second vice president of the American Fisheries Society this year, Lori Martin. She completed bachelor's and master's degrees in biological sciences at the University of Colorado, motivated by seasonal employment experiences in aquatic biology. While completing her master's degree, she was hired by the state of Colorado's Department of Public Health and Environment as an aquatic biologist and later transferred to the Northwest Regional Office of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Since then, she served in many roles there, including non-native fish control biologist, lower Colorado River aquatic management biologist, regional supervisor, and aquatic technician. Welcome to the podcast, Lori. Thank you, Elise. Thanks for having me today and for this opportunity to share a little bit about myself. So we'll start with kind of basic questions. Um, what originally sparked your interest in fishery science? I was exposed to the great outdoors when I was really young. I was fortunate to have a family that enjoyed fishing and hunting and um, an appreciation for the great outdoors. So that I think really first started my interest in fisheries and aquatic sciences. Even so much so that my grandfather, who I never really got to know, um, had created and patented the Martin's Lizard, which is a bass fishing lure that was used primarily in Oklahoma and, and Arkansas and other parts of the South. And I think that's just a really neat part of my history. Of course, I learned about that as I got grew older. And I was fortunate enough when I was in high school to have a basketball coach who at the time was working for the Colorado Division of Wildlife, now Colorado Parks and Wildlife. She provided myself and several of my other teammates some opportunities to go stream electrofishing. Uh, so I was in high school at the time, at probably 15 or 16 around that time frame. I just... I. I mean, how could you not love walking in a stream and putting electricity in it and seeing what happens and seeing what lives there when you don't know? Uh, it was just so cool. And I just knew, I think then, and with the history that I had had and being introduced to the outdoors, that I wanted to pursue a, a career in aquatic biology. And I was fortunate at that time to uh, also be in a position where Colorado Division of Wildlife was looking to pilot a water quality program, the Rivers of Colorado Water Watch Network, which is also known as River Watch. And they were looking for a couple of students to run as test um, folks to see if their program idea would work. And I was fortunate to be one of those two students and that really started my career in a, the aquatic sciences and, and fisheries uh, with the Colorado Division of Wildlife when I, like I say, was in 15 or 16 years old. I was also fortunate enough to be involved in some seasonal positions with several other federal agencies as I was completing my education. 
and my path and um, all of that together really culminated in, in my early interest in aquatic biology and the aquatic sciences. It seems like you were kind of destined to be doing this. I think you could say that. Yeah, <laughs> I love that fishing lure story. That's so cool. It, it is cool. It's it's like I say. I think fishing has always been in my blood. Awesome. So you started at what is it? I know it changed names. The Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Right. It was the Colorado Division of Wildlife. Now it's Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Awesome. So you started there as a high school volunteer and then eventually went back to work as an employee. Yes. So can you talk about what happened kind of in the in-between? In can you talk about your, your bachelor's and master's? Yes. Yes. So um, I was working as a seasonal employee for the Colorado Division of Wildlife at the time, uh, working on various projects. And I decided that I was going to, or thought I wanted to pursue a, a career in marine biology. I actually went to uh, school out at Humboldt State in Northern California to start with and had a very serious conversation with my oceanography professor out there who warned me that lots of people enjoy playing with dolphins and sitting in the sun on the ocean and, and maybe to be real thoughtful about and mindful, I think, of your career and, and which road you wanted to go down. And that re really made me think about the future and where I wanted to be. And I, I turned myself back into inland fisheries and focusing on that work back in Colorado. So I came back to Colorado and completed some classes at some community colleges until I could figure out where I wanted to go to school. Uh, continued working for the Division of Wildlife at that point in time. Uh, I earned my bachelor degree from the University of Colorado, was continuing to do some work for the Colorado Division of Wildlife as a seasonal employee, and had an opportunity in a genetics lab at the University of Colorado at Boulder to study genetic variation in larval populations of the caddisfly, uh, Arctocyche grandis, in Colorado streams. Uh, so I took that opportunity to, to focus on my master's and complete that work. Around the time I was getting ready to defend my thesis and uh, finish my graduate level work, uh, I had an opportunity uh, to fill an, an aquatic biologist position within the Water Quality Control Division at the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. My first permanent position with the state of Colorado around 1998, I believe it was. Uh, so I functioned as an aquatic biologist for the Colorado River Basin, collecting uh, water quality samples to help inform water quality standards for streams and, and lakes in Colorado. And I was in that position for two or three years, and I had an opportunity to transfer to the Colorado Division of Wildlife, where I had started my career, really. I was fortunate to accept a position in Grand Junction, which is in Northwest Colorado, as a non-native fish control biologist. Uh, and that was where I started my permanent career uh, with Colorado Division of Wildlife, now Colorado Parks and Wildlife. So you kind of worked your way up through into some other more supervisory roles, and then you retired. Yeah. And then you unretired. <laughs> And I have retired. I it's and it's come full circle because I really am back into 
back to where I started um, originally as an aquatic technician, and that's what I'm doing now. Um, you're right. I, I started as a non-native fish control biologist with Colorado Division of Wildlife and then moved into an area aquatic management uh, biologist within CPW. And uh, about 16 years, I guess, or so into the uh, into my work with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, I had a promotional opportunity as a regional fisheries supervisor. Uh, for the Colorado River Basin. And so I was in that position for about seven years and decided that uh, I had reached my long-term goals of getting to a position where age-wise and physically I could still do a lot of the activities that I wanted to do and I had the ability to retire. And so I did, but as you mentioned, that was very short-lived. Uh, about four and a half months, and uh, I decided, you know, there's some really cool things that I could do that I always wanted to do when I was part of the CPW team that I didn't get a chance to do. So I was fortunate again in the sense that CPW said, you know, we can hire you as a technician and you can come back and focus on some of those projects that you really wanted to and didn't have the time to. And, and so that's what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm focusing on uh, reviewing and providing recommendations to aquatic staff on aquatic wildlife management, regulations, policies, and, and administrative directives. And it's really amazing how much you can get done when you have one project like that to focus on. I'm so I'm encouraged and, and feel like I can help make a positive difference in a retired role. Seems like you climbed up so high that now you get to just do the things you're interested in. <laughs> it, and that's exactly right. Um, not that there were things that I, I did that I wasn't necessarily interested in, but I think you can really delve into some of those projects and really give it a good look and overall review that I just, you know, so many folks don't have time to anymore. Um, there's so many priorities and so many challenges, and it just takes a lot of, of staff and resources to get those priorities accomplished. I feel really fortunate in the position I'm in right now. Very cool. So what's your what's your favorite thing about your current position? I guess maybe we've already talked about it. <laughs> Well, you know, I think really the fav my favorite thing now is that I I can like I mentioned I can focus. It's also on my time and my schedule, so that makes it nice. And I still have that connection and engagement with the folks that I've worked with for so many years. You know, when you retire, it's it's a little different deal when you wake up and you don't go to work that day. Um, and when you've been doing it for 30 plus years. So um, it's a it's a good fix for me. And I think it's a win win all the way around. Awesome. So I think now we'll kind of get into the more specific questions um, about the vice president or second vice president role that you are yes. in the running for right now. Um, so the first question I'll ask is, when did you first get involved with the American Fisheries Society and how has it shaped your career since then? Definitely. Well, I took a really non-traditional path when I first learned about AFS and the American Fisheries Society. 
I, at the time, was a young professional just starting my career uh, with the Colorado Division of Wildlife. And I had some colleagues that said, you know, we're headed up to Cheyenne, Wyoming, to go to the annual meeting of the Colorado Wyoming chapter of the American Fisheries Society. And I thought, hmm, well, that's interesting. I, I really don't know that much about the American Fisheries Society. And they invited me to tag along, and I did, and I, I never looked back. I mean, I just had such a great experience at that meeting. It was, I felt very welcomed, and I felt comfortable, and I just thought, how cool is this to be in a room full of people that share the same or similar passions and interests as you. I remember being very inspired and empowered by that group of people and, and felt like, you know, this is a second family, really, when you think about the work that we do and the opportunities to network. So I remember at that meeting, uh, I went up to the president of the chapter and talked with her and introduced myself, said, you know, I really want to know how I can get involved with the chapter. And she mentioned that there were a ton of volunteer opportunities. And so I started down that path. I was very interested in membership and I was interested in the perspective that I had, which was coming from a different path and not really being aware of AFS. And what I could do to maybe improve that with others that maybe were in similar situations as myself. I was also interested in fundraising, uh, mentoring, nomination committee. And to this day, I'm still involved as the chapter's archivist, really interested in capturing our history. And not too long after that, I was excited to have an opportunity to be a part of the executive committee of the chapter. So I became a part of the executive committee and uh, started branching out and learning more about AFS and all the other chapters within the Western Division and attended a joint meeting of the Utah chapter and the Western Division that was in Salt Lake City. At that time was really introduced to the Western Division and shortly thereafter, I had an opportunity to join that executive team. And so I also served on the division's executive committee, and that provided opportunities to learn more about the society. Being a part of the management committee and the governing board, just learning how much of an impact AFS has around the world. So when you ask about how it's shaped my career and who I am, I think it has both professionally and personally, especially from the perspective of providing continuing education opportunities and professional development, leadership skills. I think a lot of times we're trained in our area of expertise, but we don't necessarily get the training of how to communicate and work with people. Uh, and I think those are skills that are important to have in every professional's toolbox, if you will. Uh, I think that's a, a niche that AFS provides um, that oftentimes is not emphasized enough or maybe even overlooked in our professions. So you've already served in quite a few roles in the American Fisheries Society. What's your vision for the future of AFS? I think we're in a really good place 
right now and we've got great direction uh, with AFS. And, and that's attributable to the guidance and the hard work of our present and past leaders and AFS staff. Certainly, there are pieces uh, to be thoughtful of and mindful of. And, and one of those is, of course, our strategic plan and vision and positioning, if you will, for the, for the future. Our strategic plan uh, expires in 2024. There's a committee right now that's working on what that vision looks like. We certainly have some change that's coming our, our way. We have some transition. We'll be seeing a new executive director in a few years, uh, have some continuing global issues, I believe, that we need to focus on. Um, certainly financial stability is, is a piece that we always need to be considerate of. And I think what I envision the most and what I'd like to be able to make a difference in is focusing on probably some, some thoughts and terms and themes that are not new. They, they've been there um, and continue to be. And I think that's just attributable to how important they are. I like to kind of refer to it as a connection campaign, figuring out ways that we can improve our connections with our members, with those that we have lost as members, with those that are in our profession and even outside our profession that have an appreciation for our aquatic resources, and also connecting with the folks that are making decisions figuring out how to showcase AFS and our relevancy and how important we are in the work that we do and how to communicate that with the general public in a way that's understandable. I feel like the connection campaign is, is an opportunity for us to touch on so many of the pieces that our current and previous leaders have and to build on what we've learned. I think about a, a year's worth of work in terms of, of a plan of work, and that's not much time to get uh, what you'd like to get accomplished. So I think building on the foundations of, uh, and principles of some of those uh, presidents prior and continuing that work there may be some new initiatives that we need to focus on, and we may not even know what those are right now. It's important to be flexible and adaptable and to really be mindful of what AFS needs at the time and make it purposeful. Those are just some of the thoughts that I've had that I would like to continue to work on. I really think that piece about communicating, telling our stories, is a good way to be able to communicate and connect with our neighbors and those that are also fisheries professionals that are not involved in AFS. So that's kind of the really very last thing that you said is actually kind of the perfect segue into my next question, which is, do you have any ideas on how to emphasize the importance of AFS membership to fisheries professionals that are not currently involved in AFS? That's a really good question. And I think part of it is making sure that we have, and I'm, I'm sure the committees that we have involved in AFS and AFS staff have looked at this and delved into this um, to try to understand what ways we can 
attract and showcase and highlight the opportunities that AFS provides. I think sometimes AFS can be a bit intimidating to, to folks. I know when I went to my first meetings, I remember sitting and, and running around looking at folks' name tags and thinking, oh my gosh, I just read that man's paper, you know, and I'm thinking that's him. How cool is that? Or running into um, a lady that I would have seen her name, you know, on on some publication and thinking that's her. I really want to talk with her. I just think the networking and educational opportunities that are out there are huge. And uh, it's such a great family to be a part of if you're interested at all in aquatic resources, however you you choose to be involved, whether it's through the aquaculture community or research or management, there's a place for everyone within AFS. And I just think that we need to focus on get back getting back to this connection campaign, uh, ways to connect with those folks that maybe we haven't necessarily done a good job of in the past and maybe learning from places that we can improve on. And so I think there are, you know, quite a few opportunities there to be able to think about that a little bit more. Um, I love that you brought up the name tag thing because I just went to my first conference last summer and that was one of the best things about it. <laughs> was like, you know, somebody coming up and talking to me, I was presenting a poster and, looking down and being like, oh, that's you. <laughs> yeah, it's just great. I mean, I it just, I think it really helps folks, especially that are relatively new in their careers. And that's for me, I just remember really having that great support network and, and feeling like, you know, this is the right place for me. There's so much that I can contribute and just building my confidence and um and I and I think until you attend your first meeting or any sort of AFS opportunity you really don't you just don't know until you experience it yourself awesome so is there anything that you think I missed um that you would like to talk about before we start our final five questions so, no Elise I I don't think you missed anything. I think really, I just wanted to to emphasize how important AFS is and has been to me and my career and how rewarding of an experience. Every role I have had within AFS, I've learned something. I really feel like people that are not involved with AFS are missing out. We have an opportunity to reach those people and and advocate for our aquatic resources in ways and in, 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 in an opportunity, I think, now more so than we've ever had before. And so I just I look forward to being a part and contributing to the society in ways that I haven't in the past. I'm excited about the opportunity and uh, look forward to working alongside the, the AFS membership to accomplish a lot of, of good things in the future. Awesome. So now what we call the hard part of the interview is over. 
And now we're going to, if you ask me the harder part, <laughs> um, the final five. It's a set of five questions that we ask every guest that comes on the show. Thank you. I'm ready. All right. The first question is, what's your favorite fish? I, that's a great question. And I can think of so many different species. Um, I think of those that I like to eat. Walleye and yellow perch and grouper and salmon. And then I think about those that I like to uh, catch, which includes some of those species, but but also um, redfish and bonefish and, and trout and uh, bass and bluegill. And, and then I think about the ones that I've had a pretty intimate relationship with across my career, and that's included a lot of sport fish, uh, but also those lesser known non-game species, particularly those that are imperiled federally or, or state listed species. And I think of the ones primarily in the Colorado River Basin that I've worked with, including um, the Colorado pike minnow, the razorback sucker, the bony tail and humpback chubs. And um, also the three species. I don't know how many people are as familiar with those, um, which are the bluehead sucker, the flannel mouse sucker, and the roundtail chub. Though all of those species are incredibly resilient. When I think about really their life um, and what they've experienced, and so many uh, folks in, within AFS and outside of AFS are really working to recover those species and, and conserve them in places that they can. And so I think I probably would have to say that the the native species of the Colorado River Basin that can be found no place else in the world are probably those that are my favorite. Yeah, I think it's too hard to choose just one. So I appreciate it that you chose is. a few. <laughs> what's a what's a favorite memory from your career so far? Oh gosh, again, lots of lots of favorite memories. Um, I think one that really resonates with me and it gets back to this connection campaign is the ability for us to be relevant and to relate to the general public. And an example I have is Colorado Parks and Wildlife hosts an, an outdoor heritage day every spring in multiple places, I believe, across the state. But the one that I was involved with was in Western Colorado. It was one day, usually a Saturday, and we would haul a basically a tough shed on a trailer. And both sides of the tough shed were cut out and had plexiglass. And you had a fiberglass tank that was exposed and you could put fish, different species, um, on both sides of the tank. And that gave people the opportunity to come up and see what species were there so they could actually see them. And I think that really makes a difference when people can see those species, you know, you think about the terrestrial side of things when you can touch them and see them and, and um, they're above ground or, you know, above the water level. It's, it's easy for people to see. And I think in so many of the species that we work with, people just can't identify necessarily because they don't have a connection with them. So anyway, we used to provide that display for kids and their folks and grandparents and others to be able to see what species we were wanting to showcase at that particular time. And we got to thinking, 
how cool would it be if we just opened up the back of the tough shed and let kids or whoever wanted to come in and actually touch and handle those species? I'll tell you what, just hearing the screeching and the laughter and kids getting in there to, to actually be able to harass those um, species that we had. And we'd have sport fish on one side and native species on the other. They loved it. I, they just loved it. And it became a hit. And I think to this day, it still is. And uh, we'd even get grandparents that would come in and say, I read about these species in the paper and what everyone's trying to do to protect them. And I've never seen them. Can I, can I get in the back of the tough shed and, you know, and touch them? I want to see them. And I just think that's a very rewarding and fulfilling moment as an aquatic biologist to have that experience. So that's probably one of, of the favorite memories I have. There's something very human about just wanting to touch everything. <laughs> yes, I think you're Even, right. You're not supposed to, especially, but. I worked a touch tank for a while with like horseshoe crabs and flipper lobsters in it. And there was something very fun about trying to like get children to put their hand in the water and touch those things when they were like, I don't, I've never seen this before. (laughs) Why would I touch it? Right. But they still want to. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think it creates, and that's when the connection is made if it hasn't been before. Yep. Uh, What's your dream job or location? Well, I think my dream job is probably the job that I was in for the 30 years um, serving the state of Colorado. I think it, it could have been even better if we had even more people and funding to be able to focus on the projects that we weren't able to. And I think that would ultimately be the dream job. Um, there are so many questions in fishery management and research that are of interest, but also that have and could have huge impacts, not just in Colorado, but nationwide and possibly worldwide. If we just had more, if we had more time, (laughs) more money, more people to be able to tackle those questions and issues, I just think about how much further along we would be. So I think that would be my dream job and gosh I can't really think of any other place I'd rather work than where I've been well that's a great answer because the next question is if money were not an issue what's a project you'd love to work on from that perspective I I think about having the opportunities really to recover and conserve those species if money was not an issue how how much faster we could be at coming up with creative solutions and and ideas um, where we could to work to keep species off the endangered species list and lose them to extinction. And that goes for both sport fish and non-game in terms of um, providing those opportunities recreationally and also from a conservation standpoint. And there's many, many projects underneath that umbrella, if you will, Um, if we had more money um, to do those things. But I I feel very privileged and and appreciate the opportunities that I've had to be able to handle some of those species and work with them um, that others and future generations may not have. Yeah, that's definitely something I try to keep in mind is like 
not everybody will have the opportunity to see the things that I've seen if things continue how they are. That's right. That's the fire under my butt sometimes. <laughs> yep. So if there's one point or principle you could have programmed into everyone's head, what would it be? Another good question. One, I think that is especially important is is to be appreciative and, re- and respectful of one another and each other's perspectives and viewpoints and really of the great outdoors and the opportunities that were presented and the resources that we have and, and not, not lose sight of that. I think we could just get a lot more done in the world in general if we could have that basic principle in mind. Awesome. Well, Lori, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity and, and hope that this has provided folks with a little bit more information and thoughts on, on my background. Thanks so much. So if people want to find out more information or get a hold of you, how would they do that? Probably the best way is through my email. One word, it's riverones at me.com. So R-I-V-E-R-O-N-E-S at me.com. Perfect. And just as a reminder to our listeners, only AFS members can vote in this upcoming election. Um, I will have more information about when and how to vote in the show notes. If you'd like to get a hold of me or the other hosts, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at fisheriespod or via email at feedback at thefisheriespodcast.com. You can download past, present, and future episodes, including our un- our upcoming episode, which will feature the second candidate on your favorite listening app. You can also stream it from Spotify or thefisheriespodcast.com. And don't forget, you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some awesome Fisheries Podcast merch available on Teespring. I'm Elise, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. And remember, appreciate nature and each other's perspectives. <laughs>